It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Well, thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. I am Mike Vaccaro in the front row. Behind the scenes, it's J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. Another episode here today and a unique individual, Mike Wandell, our guest today. And he is uh, maybe what you want to call the Forrest Gump of sports. He has been a broadcaster at the highest level. He's been in college administration, now in the front office in pro sports as well. And he is our guest today. A great story to tell. He has uh, run into a lot of big names, as you'll find out here as well. It's another episode of In the Front Row featuring Mike Waddell. All right. Well, Mike, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Be another uh, wonderful guest here uh, in the front row. And, and you are you have a story to tell for sure, because you, you've had and worn many hats in your career, uh, maybe starting as a broadcaster that we'll get into there. So, uh, again, I know it's a busy time for you and I appreciate you hopping on and, and joining us here today. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks a lot. It's been a, a long time since we've had a chance to visit with one another. And uh, you're a great talent going back from the uh, Syracuse days to the Campbell uh, Camels days. And now uh, there with the Seahawks, my man, the, uh, the the greatest AD in the CAA. We're talking, of course, about Jimmy Bass at UNC Wilmington. So excited to be with you tonight. Yeah, you and I go back a ways and uh, a couple of stops on your journey as well. But let's start at the beginning for you. You grow up and in, in born in Hickory, North Carolina, western part of the state of North Carolina. And, and it seemed like football was, was kind of a, a sport for you. What else were you doing growing up and, and how much were, were sports a part of your life growing up? Well, if you, if you talk to the guys from my neighborhood back in Newton, a suburb of Hickory, born in Hickory because Newton didn't have a hospital, but uh, they tell you that probably more than sports, I was always talking. And even when I was playing sports, I was talking. And uh, they beat me up and I was talking. Uh, just keep on talking and talking. So, uh, you know, that's been the thing. I mean, I, I grew up going to North Carolina football games. We drive the two and a half hours down I-40 from uh, Newton Conover and Catawba County into Orange County and Chapel Hill. My dad went to undergraduate and uh, uh, law school at North Carolina and was a big football fan. My godfather had been the captain of the 63 Gator Bowl team. And it was just something we did. I went to my first football game in September of 1969 at Keenan Stadium, and and since then it's been it's been a special place for me. I, I love it uh, to be able to work there with uh, Woody Durham and Matt Brown and Dean Smith and Sylvia Hatchell and Anson Dorrance and Mike Roberts. I mean, th those were the the the, the greatest uh, uh, mentors that I could ever have as coaches, and it doesn't get any better than Woody as the uh, mentor for me in terms of broadcasting. But um, you know that was the thing. I've always been into sports and talking. Well, that certainly benefited you well as you got those uh, broadcasting jobs. But before that, when you were a youngster, your dad kind of had a connection that that introduced you to the radio business. Tell us a little bit about that. And it was kind of on, on NASCAR and uh, and that side of things. Well, it, it was. And I, I will tell you, there's one that you might not even know. One of my dad's uh, uh, best friends growing up in Salisbury, North Carolina, was a guy named Gary Edens. And Gary ended up owning a series of radio stations throughout the uh, area where I am right now in Texas and the Southwest, Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico, that area. So 
you know, I, I wanted to be a broadcaster since early on, listening to WCHL's Countdown to Kickoff. And then um, my dad, also being an attorney, had a lot of clients that were uh, into the sports world. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr., uh, also uh, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, for a time. Uh, the, the, the joke always was in Charlotte, if you're not Ric Flair's attorney right now, you will be soon because he ran through uh, attorneys like he, he went through a poem opponents of the old Mid-Atlantic Championship uh, wrestling uh, territory. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, always something. And then also in my uh, church, uh, one of the great gentlemen in the sports world, Ned Jarrett, was a member of our church at Beth Eden. And so we had uh, Ned Jarrett and Glenn Jarrett and, of course, Dale Jarrett uh, right there. So NASCAR was always around me. I'd come back to that a little bit uh, later in life as a respite away from college sports. But I'm sure we'll get into that later on. Yeah, Rick Flair, Ned Jarrett. I mean, you're you're a youngster at this time. Did you realize how big some of these guys were and these celebrities at that time in the sports world? Well, I, I definitely. I mean, I didn't interact a lot with Rick. That was uh, more in the courtrooms and in uh, settlements uh, therein. But but with Ned, he would uh, drive the Hickory Motor Speedway pace car to church on Sundays, and that was usually after the Saturday night race. And there were a few times where. Believe it or not, he actually wore his CBS blazer to church. Uh, now, I, I, I'm sure he could have afforded a, a Palm Beach blazer back in the day, a little Arnold Palmer, uh, something going on. But Ned is the nicest guy ever. He's a huge Dale Carnegie guy. And, and I don't know if anyone has anything negative to say about Ned Jarrett. And for somebody that's been around NASCAR and broadcasting, to not have anybody have anything negative to say about you, he's done something pretty miraculous. But he's a very giving man. And I had a chance to visit with him a few years ago at the Darlington race when he and Ken Squire were in the booth with NBC for that uh, Labor Day uh, spectacular. And, uh, and, you know, Ned's not doing that uh, anymore. He's a little on in life, but uh, he still lives on the eighth green at Catawba Country Club there in uh, Newton, North Carolina, and um, just a, a pure gentleman. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, again, as a child, then you go to college. You go to Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina, and, and you played football there. Yeah. Um, well, you know. well I, I will tell you this. My head football coach, Charles Forbes, uh, and my athletics director, uh, my first year was a guy named Dr. Alan Platt, and they were talking outside of our locker room at Emory and Henry. And, and I was. I was on the football team. I'll say that. And uh, Alan Platt was a first year AD and he looked at uh, Coach Forbes and said, hey, uh, Charlie, what's the difference between NAI, which we were my freshman year in 1988, and Division Three, where we were transitioning to uh, for what would have been my sophomore year in 1989? And he said, well, Dr. Platt, the difference is look at Andre Brody over there. That's an NAI athlete. Look at Waddell over there. That's a Division Three athlete. And, and Andre is now going by the uh, name of uh, Sir Brody. He's an actor. He's been in, uh, you know, lots of TV uh, things and movies. He's a real Tyler Perry guy. I've been in a lot of uh, Tyler's uh, films, but I I'm not much of an athlete. Uh, I wish social media had been around and name, image, and likeness in the days that I was playing because I would have made a killing. I would have been doing podcasts. I would have been doing uh, my Twitter feed. Uh, my Instagram feed would have been electric. 
my TikTok's spectacular. But uh, I would have turned pro after my uh, sophomore year, but you know they didn't have the ability to turn pro back then. I just uh, did not play uh, my third year, and then I ended up graduating early. But it was a, it was a great time. I was a punter. I was a wide receiver. I was a tight end, and basically, uh, I enjoyed Halloween for two years on the football field because I dressed up like a football player. <laughs> I am the worst athlete in two sanctioning bodies, and that's hard. For all the people who have been NAI or Division Three athletes, I am by far the worst athlete ever. Well, that, but that served you well because then you went to broadcasting, and the knowledge that you had, I'm sure, with from playing football, helped you. So, you, so you go to Carolina, uh, and you were the voice of a women's basketball. How did you kind of crack into there? How did you get that job with the Tar Heels? <laughs> and as you mentioned, Woody Durham, Mick Mixon, and those other guys that are you know legends as broadcasters, and I'm sure great mentors for you. They were. And, uh, you know, every time I see Mick now, the last time uh, I saw Mick was at Woody's funeral uh, a couple of years ago. But every time I see Mick, I apologize to him because I had to be uh, a heck of a handful to deal with back in that day. Uh, I can talk from my diaphragm now and I don't sound like I'm Squeaky the Clown like I did back then. That's the nickname that uh, Woody gave me uh, from time to time if I got excited during a broadcast. But it's actually a fun story. Uh, I had gone to Delta State University as a graduate student after graduating in three years from Guilford. Um, my wife, her college roommate, who was from Charlotte, my wife's from Boston, Massachusetts, or a suburb on the South Shore named Abington. But we had all uh, three signed on to go to Delta State in Cleveland, Mississippi, in the middle of the Delta. Okay. That is a book in itself. The six weeks I spent in Mississippi. But uh, let's just say that Cleveland, Mississippi is not the most enlightened place on the planet. Only in 2017 did they decide to integrate schools. And it didn't really set well with uh, Heidi's roommate because she left after 24 hours. She literally, you know, took off uh, like, uh, you know, you know, like a bat out of hell, man. She was ready to go back to North Carolina. And after a few weeks uh, there... It was around July 4th that Heidi and I went back to North Carolina for the weekend. And I called Mick. I'd interviewed for a job at the Tar Heel Sports Network before taking the job at Delta. And uh, they didn't make a decision. So I went ahead and went to Delta State. And so I remember going to a phone booth in, in Cleveland, Mississippi, uh, one morning after our class. It was about 190 degrees outside. And it was humid as all get out. But I called Mick and I said, hey, did you ever fill that position? He said, no, we were getting ready to hire you. But then you took a job in Mississippi. What's up? And I said, well, can I uh, come and talk to you? And he said, well, uh, I'm getting ready to hire this other guy. But if you can get here uh, over the weekend, you know, I'll meet you in Chapel Hill. So I went down, met Mick, got the job, drove back uh, in a rider truck uh, with my uh, fiance at the time and uh, literally packed up the house, drove back to the field house at Delta State and said, we're going. I won't get into there, there was a lot more to it than that. But, you know, it's just it's just tough to, to imagine what it was like to be in Delta, Mississippi and in between Greenville and Green. Um, ton or something like that it was two two towns with green on the front of it but it was just it was just culturally not not for us and and I had a chance to go work at Carolina and as a lifelong Tar Heel fan still to this day I live and die with those guys and um, had a chance to work with the people I did I did uh, Chapel Hill High School football I did uh, Carolina football uh, countdown to kickoff with a guy named Kyle Cadell 
uh, and Robert Boyd, whose dad, Ty, was a broadcaster in Charlotte and a broadcasting legend. So that was fun. Uh, had a chance to uh, do Carolina women's basketball play-by-play, -play, uh, men's basketball. I was the producer of the uh, Dean Smith and Matt Brown radio shows with the Tar Heel Sports Network. Uh, did some pregame and stuff, and it, it was just great. I mean, it was the greatest job ever. Play-by-play, -play, middle innings with Mick Mixon on Carolina baseball. Are you kidding me? I mean, Mick Mixon is a legend. I hope you have a chance to have him on because he's making his uh, last curtain call this year with the voice of the Panthers after 17 years. It's hard to believe. But Mick is Mick's a talent. And he also completely uh, broke me down and then slowly built me back up. And it was a it was a pure joy to be a part of a, um, a men's basketball national championship in 1993 as a broadcaster, three consecutive years as the voice of women's soccer with Mia Hamm and Tisha Venturini and uh, um, you know just so many uh, great players uh, there. And then uh, to be in my final year, uh, the real time that I spent there was with women's basketball and what I consider to be the greatest women's basketball coach of all time. And, and uh, Sylvia Hatchell, she won an NAIA title. She won a Division II title. She won a Division I title. I mean, she is an incredible human being. And uh, met my best friend, Andrew Calder, who was the associate head coach there for 30 years with Sylvia. And um, just so many people there. I mean, just a, a gift. And then in our, our last year, we won the national championship. So I was there for the rise and the build up with Charlotte Smith out on the left. Good. Just like Jordan out on the left. Good. And uh, we won the championship. But uh, then it was off to Virginia and the, the broadcasting travels continued. Yeah, 1991 and 94 at Carolina, as you said, Charlotte Smith, now the head coach at Elon, which is in the league, UNCW in the CAA. Um, again, how do you top that? You know, everybody wants to have a game-winning call, but to have a game-winning call at, you know, in a championship, a national championship, that's got to be kind of the, the pinnacle for a broadcaster. You'll get me emotional because I love those players, those young women who are now – uh, more mature women. Uh, but Carolina meant a lot to me, not only because I grew up as a Carolina fan, but also because I had the opportunity to go back on the 10th anniversary and the 20th anniversary and just a few years ago for the 25th anniversary of that championship team. And they invite me back every year. They treat me just like I'm a member of the team. I get all the, you know, they, they put me up in the hotel. They treat me like Woody was with the men. I mean, there had been uh, Bill Curry, uh, Woody Durham, Mike Waddell, and Jones Angel are the four announcers that have called North Carolina basketball championship games, and I'm the only one that did it as a woman and, uh, and with women's basketball. And I'll tell you this: this is a this is a this is a cool story, and this tells you about the kind of guy Woody was, because uh, Woody was a tough guy to work for. Because Woody Durham is, ah, yeah. he's there, man. But in 1994, uh, the Carolina men's basketball team lost out in the round of 32 for the first time in like, oh, 16, 17 years. They didn't make the Sweet 16. Big deal. And that was coming off the year of winning the national championship over Michigan and New Orleans the year before. So we're sitting there, and I'm, you know, with the women's basketball team. I did those games on WCHL. Truth be told, I paid for some of those games to be on the radio. 
when nobody really believed in women's basketball in uh, 91, 92, 93, I did. And, and, and Sylvia Hatchell never forgot that. So there was a guy named Chris Bolton. I hope Chris doesn't feel like I'm picking on him when I reveal this. But Chris Bolton was the uh, head of the Tar Heel Sports Network at the time, or Tar Heel Sports Marketing. And he worked for Jim Hebner, but Chris was running the show. And he called me into his office uh, the Monday after the uh, Carolina men's team had lost on either Saturday or Sunday in the uh, uh, round of 32. And he says, hey, you know, now that uh, the men's team is out, Woody's going to take over calling the women's basketball team here in the tournament. And you can do pregame and postgame and stuff like that. You can still go on the trip, but but Woody's going to take over. He's the voice of the Tar Heels. I was mad. I mean, I'm telling you, I've been mad a few times in my life, but that might have been the most red hot, white hot, quasar like mad I've ever been in my life. And I called Coach Ashwell. I said, Coach, uh, you know, what he's going to start doing your games now? I, I'm not. And she always calls me Mikey. Okay. I'm, I'll be 85 years old. She'll be 110. And, and they'll be, she'll be calling me Mikey. But she says, Mikey, that's just not going to happen. She called Woody. And then Woody called me into his office. And he called Chris into his office. Now, Woody were for Chris, but, you know, it wasn't going to be any uh, – Chris wasn't making a call there. Woody said, now, Chris, Mike is the voice of women's basketball. He's going to stay the voice of women's basketball, and that's it. And Chris is going, yes, sir. And, I mean, and then, uh, then Woody, you know, Chris went to his own office, little cubicle, and uh, uh, Woody said – and you can thank Coach Hatchell for that. I wasn't going to do it because I want to go play golf. But <laughs> make sure that you know, because Woody loved golf. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was a great golfer. I remember a time coming back from uh, Maryland, he and Mick and Paul Boone, our engineer, were driving back from College Park. They would drive to those games. And I get a call at like 3.30 in the morning one time. And it's like, you know, you, you look at the phone. And not everybody had a cell phone back then. But, you know, we had a, a phone in the apartment uh, there in Carborough where we lived. And he goes, Mike. Woody, hey Woody, it's three thirty in the morning. Well, Mike, <coughs> I'm feeling a little under the weather. I need you to go into CHL and do sports. And he had this little uh, army green surplus like toiletry bag, and he kept all these cassette tapes in there. And he had a, a interview with Muhammad Ali, with Jack Nicholas, with Arnold Palmer, with you know John Wooden, with you know whomever, just in case they died. I would have tape to to wow. pull an actuality out. And, you know, you couldn't just store it on a hard drive. It was all on tape. And so um, Woody said, I'm going to leave the bag at CHL with some cuts from last night's game at Coalfield House. And uh, you need to be there at 545. Your first sportcast, of course, will be the 6 o'clock. And then you have 620, 640, and then on. And I knew that. But then I had to stay <laughs> until like 8 o'clock that night. So anyway, I, I do that. I had one little break. And I had a chance to go over to see my friend Rick Strunk, who was the Associate Executive Director of the North Carolina High School Athletic Association. Saw him over there at Finley Golf Course. As I'm driving through uh, Finley, there Woody is with Chancellor Christopher Fordham and two other guys playing golf. He was playing 36. So he had the, the tea time flu is what he had. But, man, I got to work with Woody Durham. I got to work with Mitt Mixon. I got to work with the greatest engineer ever and Paul Boone. I learned as much from Paul Boone and Don Mertz and David Wright. These were the engineers and producers I lived with uh, in this little room at the Tar Heel Sports Network, you know, calling 900 numbers and getting score updates. Man, you, you never had pressure. 
like working the ACC tournament and having Woody say, okay, you've got to go to nine different conference tournaments around the nation. And I'm giving you a minute and a half and Jim Hebner's in my ear and saying, and get the dub bars back there before the rest of those scoundrels get them. So I'd be pushing people, Eddie Landreth, get out of the way. You know, you know, uh, Sammy uh, Batten, get out of the way. You know, I got to get dub bars or I'm going to get fired. And then I had to go back and go to three live hybrids, three reporters on tape, and then three more live hybrids after that. That 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 was pressure, Michael. That well, was- you talk pressure, but a great education, as you said. So many of those oh. guys, and you know that yes. your your time there. I mean, I'm sure it was like going back to school. You know, from a, from a broadcast standpoint, and from Carolina, then you went to to Virginia. Uh, what made that change happen, and, and how did that go down? Is you know, going from North Carolina to Virginia, obviously a, a rival in the ACC. Oh, and that arch rival in women's basketball. The assistant coach for women's basketball at UVA to Debbie Ryan, uh, their Hall of Fame head coach, was a guy named Sean Campbell. He didn't talk to me for the first year I was there. He was convinced I was a plant by Sylvia Hatchell to spy on them. And then I finally told him, he, he did talk to me when the gates are closing on me at uh, Bradley Airport outside of Hartford after we had lost in the East Regional Final to UConn en route to UConn's first ever national title in 95. But uh, Sean said, move Mike. I'll never forget those hallowed words. Move Mike as this thing was getting ready to close on my torso and cut me in half. And I said, hey, Sean, that's the first time you've talked to me all year long. He said, well, you know, I don't trust you. You're a Carolina guy. I said, Sean, I left Carolina after a national championship to come be a part of your program. And uh, Debbie was always great to me. But, yeah, I just wanted to move up. I was the number three guy between, uh, you know, behind Woody and Mick. At Carolina, you want to be number one. I mean, every broadcaster is an ego, and you, you want to be the lead dog. And working at Virginia it was an opportunity also to move into sales. Warren Swain was the voice of the Cavaliers then, great guy. Mm-hmm. And and WINA and Charlottesville Broadcasting, they had three radio stations, the, the flagship station of the UVA network. And, you know, it was a chance for me to take everything that we were doing at Carolina so well. And one guy I didn't mention, Larry Stone, was uh, our morning guy and the producer of a lot of stuff there at uh, Carolina, later went on to the Titans Network, but had a chance to go on and do that. And it was a beautiful opportunity and uh, worked with Warren for two years. He then goes off to uh, uh, Nebraska to replace uh, Kemp Pavelka as the voice of the Cornhuskers. Uh, I would mention that in 1994, I continued working with a, a great coach in a national championship as I worked with Bruce Arena doing UVA men's soccer. And, uh, you know, that's that's something you figure three soccer titles, 91, 92, 93, men's basketball title in 93, women's basketball title in 94, and now a men's soccer title in 94. I'm thinking, man, you're just always going to win national championships. I'm not seeing a national championship since 1994, brother. And it's it's tough. I got, I got close and we'll talk about that later on. But, um, yeah, I just had a chance to, to go up there. Work. I was the lead. Uh, was baseball play-by-play, women's basketball play-by-play, football sidelines, and had my own talk show. And then was the head of all sports marketing and sold. I think our first year about uh, six hundred thousand dollars in local advertising. But that's where you got to go. I mean, you, you got to be able to sell if you're going to be a broadcaster. At least back in those days, as you well know. And uh, they gave me the opportunity there. And then in 1997, I had a chance to be the number one finally and uh, came home to North Carolina. I'd never been to Boone, North Carolina a day in my life before I went to interview for the App State play-by-play job to replace really? a great guy, Brian Estridge. I mean, Brian's been here at TCU and DFW for, uh, well, I guess 
Uh, he left uh, App State to go to Miami, Ohio, and then to uh, uh, TCU from there. But um, another great tradition of outstanding broadcasters, Don Munson, Charlie Harville, uh, Mike Hogwood, uh, myself, um, you know, David Jackson has done a great job and Adam Witten does an outstanding job uh, and now for Appalachian State. And I, I'd say this, out of all the places I've been, uh, if I could go back to one place, it would be Appalachian State because it's it's my favorite place to live. It's my favorite people that I've ever been around. And that that's I don't mean any disrespect to other people, but uh, Matt McMahon and the current head coach of the uh, Mountaineers in football, uh, Sean Clark, are two of my favorite athletes I ever worked with. And they changed me and made me a better person. And they're good friends to this day. And if there's one thing I get accused of is that I collect people. Uh, I love people. I'll talk to a corpse, uh, and uh, but the people I talk to, uh, I've never been as proud. I, I, I will, I'll cry. I've never been as proud as the day that Matt McMahon got the head coaching job at Murray State or the day that Sean Clark got the job at uh, App State because I love those guys. I love them, I love their teammates, and um, you know, it was, it was an honor to, to be at all these places. Uh, and, and, you know, I can see the emotion there. And it's something that maybe people don't see the casual fan. You know, when you work with these people, it's tough sometimes because sometimes those coaches leave, whether it's on their own terms or, or, or not. You know, it's, it's tough to have coaching friends sometimes in this business or just, you know, friends in general in college athletics. But, uh, you know, obviously those guys uh, made an impact for you. And, and, and again, 1997. And like you said, they weren't my coaches. I mean, you talk about these coaches. I mean, you know, Buzz Peterson who we both have had spent time and he's been a guest here on the front row before. I love Buzz Peterson. I love Jan Peterson. I love their kids. I, I love their pets. Uh, I, I love playing golf with uh, uh, Buzz and his college roommate one time. Uh, that was weird. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I mean, I was with Buzz the day that he, uh, you know, uh, had accepted the job the night before to go to Southwest Missouri State to replace uh, Steve Alford. And then the next morning I backed out and, you know, had me, you know, call somebody that he was married to and say, yeah, Buzz isn't showing up at the airport. We booked 54 holes at Blue Ridge Country Club. I mean, um, you know, fun stuff like that. I mean, it was it was something. I mean, I, I love those guys. And for you, again, the chance to be the guy, to be that number one guy, what did that opportunity mean to you? Because, again, you, you were the broadcaster of, as you said, championship teams, but now you're the guy. You're, you're the, the voice of the school. How, how, how big was that in your mind? Well, I hyperventilated. Our first football game was at uh, Clemson, and Raymond Priester uh, fumbles on the first play, and I go, oh, 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 oh. and my son had been born. Now, that My son had been born on August 30th, uh, and then the next Saturday – you know, I'm off doing a game. And so I've been kind of a week, man. You know, you have your first kid born and then you're off doing your first football game as the lead announcer for Appalachian State. And this is before the three titles. But again, a heck of a gentleman and, and Jerry Moore, uh, you know, Buzz Peterson. I mean, just the, the people I worked with there. Wow. Man, you just look back on it. I mean, there might not be another more blessed person in the history of time than me. To, to work with these Titans. I mean, I was there when, you know, Jerry Moore, I mean, I, I remember having a conversation one day in coach Moore's office. It's, you know, Billy Graham, Jerry Moore, and me. You kidding me? And, uh, but was a part of, you know, a, a Southern conference championship in football there 
work with great people. Daniel Jeremiah, another great one who's now on the NFL Network as an analyst, was our quarterback, one of our quarterbacks, another quarterback, David Reeves. I later intersect with him, and he's our quarterback coach in the Alliance of American Football. When I'm the president, Steve Spurrier's the head coach. Are you kidding me? I'm a kid from Dogwood Hills. But uh, little Newton, North Carolina, rooting, tooting, Newton. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, Appalachian State was great. Uh, great people that I worked with there. And then from there, I had a chance right in the middle of the season. Now, we're right in the middle of the season. Matt's a senior season at Appalachian. And uh, I get the call to – I had two jobs I could have taken, two different paths in my life. I got called by a guy I'd worked with at uh, – uh, Virginia, Wood Selig, who's now the AD at Old Dominion, but he had taken the AD job at Western Kentucky, and he asked me, do you want to come run the Western Kentucky Satellite Network and be the voice of the Hilltoppers? I said, man, I'm, I'm interviewing right now to be the voice of the Black Knights at West Point. And he said, well, you know, the job's yours if you want it. You know, sometimes you say, what if? I think I'd probably still be a broadcaster if I had taken that job with Wood. But then I wouldn't have been able to do the things that I did for the next – 21 years. And uh, I did go to uh, West Point. And then I, I was a victim of a uh, switcheroo. Uh, they hired me to be the director of marketing broadcasting at West Point. I'm the only guy selling sponsorships for uh, Army Athletics. And I'm also getting ready to set up this worldwide radio network. And then they said, well, instead of you being the play-by-play -play guy for football, we want you to be the sideline guy. And the play-by-play -play guy for basketball, we're going to we're going to hire John Minko one of the original six from WFAN in New York to come over and be the uh, voice of the uh, Black Knights for football. I was mad for about, I don't know, about a month. And uh, then I met John Minko. What a great guy. And well, John Minko was my friend. I mean, John Minko. I mean, this guy is a great guy. And, and I didn't have time to be the, the, the football voice at West Point because I was also running this worldwide radio network with over 100 stations and, you know, uh, Armed Forces radio network outlets. And uh, we signed WABC. But that's where I, I really got the feeling that my, my calling was not to be a broadcaster as much, but I like being in charge. And signing that broadcast deal with WABC and taking Army football from a small station uh, on the FM dial in the Hudson River Valley to WABC, 77 WABC, where, you know, it was John Sterling and the Yankees and Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Curtis Sliwa and Ron Kuby in the morning. And I got to hang out with those guys. Uh, not so much Rush. Rush had pretty much already uh, moved down to Naples at that point. But I knew Sean Hannity before he was a household name and pretty regular guy and when he's not on the air. But um John Sterling. I went to a I went to a, a Christmas party with John Sterling at Cipriani's in the Rainbow Room. Are you kidding me? I'm I'm Mike Waddell from Newton, North Carolina. What am I doing here? That was great. But uh, yeah, did that, and um, you know, from then on, it was. I, I knew then though. My dad got sick, Mike. He I had uh, liver disease and end stage liver disease and needed a transplant. So I was going to. I uh, have to make a decision. I'm an only child and my dad's an only child. So the only way my dad was going to live for me to give him part of my liver in uh, June of, uh, of 2001. So I, I gave him part of my liver, but I had to resign from West Point to do that. And that's when uh, a friend of mine, again, from UVA, um, you know, had gotten an AD job at Akron and says, hey, Mike, uh, why don't you come run my external site at Akron? You can work for me for you know three weeks and then leave to go do this surgery. And then you take your time coming back. And that guy was Mike Thomas. I've worked for him at Akron, at Cincinnati, and again, at Illinois. 
uh, you know, loyalty is uh, something it, it plays on you. He saved me in uh, 2001, and I'd like to think that uh, when he was in trouble at the uh, University of Illinois, uh, he called me and wanted me to help him. And it was uh, return that chip in uh, 2014. And uh, but, you know, uh, good times. Uh, Akron, great times. Uh, we built a football stadium there. We built up a uh, uh, basketball program with Keith Dambrod, who was uh, LeBron's college coach. We hired a, a football coach in J.D. Brookhart that uh, took Akron into uh, a MAC championship in 2005 in our first ever bowl game. Got a chance to meet some great guys there, too. Uh, Chase Blackburn and Dominic Hickson, who won Super Bowls with the New York Giants. Um, you know, uh, Charlie Fry did his Heisman campaign. He's now the quarterback's coach for the Miami Dolphins. And uh, Luke Getze is the quarterback's coach for the uh, Green Bay Packers. And he was our quarterback for that championship team. And just, just talk about the coaches that I worked with there. Uh, Joe Moorhead, who is the offensive coordinator now at Oregon and a former head coach at uh, Fordham and also uh, uh, the uh, Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State. Uh, don't even get me started on them. We won't talk about that. <laughs> this, will, this will get uh, X-rated pretty quick because uh, I don't think too much about how he was treated there. But uh, Joe Moorhead's a great guy and just great humans. Uh, Terrell Williams, uh, defensive line coach for the uh, Tennessee Titans, uh, just countless people. But uh, great time there at Akron as an administrator and then on to Cincinnati where we had uh, – we rebuilt Cincinnati football. Uh, we had Mark D'Antonio. He leaves after 2006 to go to Michigan State. But then we hired Brian Kelly, and I got on that train. Wow. Wow. That, Brian Kelly is a tour de force. Uh, best coach probably uh, to deal with ever as an external guy because you didn't have to tell him anything. And uh, then on the basketball side, we rebuilt it with uh, Mick Cronin, who's now at UCLA. But, uh, I mean, just think about it. I mean, I, it sounds like I'm name dropping. I'm just telling you who I work with. I mean, these guys were next level. And on the football side at Cincinnati, my, my favorite two brothers I ever worked with, Jason and Travis Kelsey. Are you kidding me? Jason Kelsey is an incredible human. Travis is a whack job. But but you love Travis Kelsey because just what he is. I mean, he's just a great athlete and so many other people. But seeing that that program finally take off and watch what they're doing right now. They're number three in one poll. We finished number three and we were 12-0 and 0 in uh, 2009. And we went to the uh, Sugar Bowl and played Tebow in his last game. But uh, that was fun. But, you know, we all were also coachless there. But uh, it was fun there. And then uh, on to Towson as the AD yeah. in uh, 2010 to uh, 13. And, you know, that's where you and I reconnected again. And what was that like? I mean, you made the transition from broadcasting to administration in college athletics. And you were starting to do that at Army. And now almost like that App State job where you're the guy. You get the opportunity on the administrative side at Towson to be the guy, to be an athletic director. Yeah. What was the upside of that? What were the challenges of that? Because, I mean, again, college athletics are tough. Mid-major level, it's it's trying to find that money to, to get things done. Uh, was it an easy transition to be that guy? I'm like every other media guy. I think I know everything in the world, so why can't I run the whole damn department? Uh, that's literally it. I mean, I would look around and I'd say, man, this is not that tough. And in a lot of ways, it's not. A lot of ways, it's common sense. But there also is an innate sense of fairness that you have to adjudicate whenever you're an athletics administrator on the intercollegiate athletics level. Um, you know, Towson University was called by a lot of folks the worst uh, Division I athletics director job in the nation. 
So my wife, who's in the other room, would tell you that I'm the type of guy, I like to build things. I like to start things up. I like to resuscitate things that need that that CPR, that you know, occupational CPR. That's what gets me going every day. If the trains are running on time, I am not an air traffic controller, man. I will go. I will lose interest. And that's what Towson was. I mean, Towson basketball at that point was coached by Pat Kennedy, a legend, Iona, uh, you know, Florida State, um, later on at DePaul, then Montana, and then he went to Towson. And I got him on his seventh year of a seven-year run where he never had a winning season. Towson basketball was awful. We were 4-26 and the year before I got there, and they were in the middle of 16 consecutive losing seasons. Towson football was in the second year of the Rob Ambrose era. Uh, and they went two and nine the year before I got there, and one and ten my first year there. I came in. Uh, I was only zero and four uh, because uh, they had won a five overtime game against Coastal Carolina in week three when I was interviewing for the job, and then uh, I was there for the last four uh, losses. I think it was to Rhode Island, my first loss, uh, New Hampshire. I forget who else, and then the the last one was New Hampshire. Uh, Maine was in there somewhere. It was just awful. We were, we were not good. And um, lacrosse uh, was probably the most important sport at Towson because it's in Baltimore. And they were 3-13, and 13, coached by Hall of Famer and Tony Seaman, who had been the head coach at uh, a CW Post, a big lacrosse school up in Long Island, and then also at Johns Hopkins right there in Baltimore. But, you know, you look at your first three sports, 4-26, uh, and 1-10, and 3-13, and, and 13, things weren't going really well. But the one thing that I learned by being around great coaches is that championship habits um, are, are, are needed and you have to start with the base. We invested a lot at Towson in sports medicine, sports performance, preventing injuries, uh, you know, alternative medicine type uh, things like massage and cryotherapy and acupuncture and things that would keep our athletes helpful and or healthy. And when we did that, we started to win. Uh, we had to make a coaching change in basketball uh, from uh, Pat Kennedy, who was a gentleman about it. Uh, it wasn't any big surprise. Uh, the final four people that I had in my uh, coaching search have all gone on to be successful head coaches. And Pat Scary has had his ups and downs at, uh, at, the, uh, at Towson University. But Pat Scary is a great guy. And when you look at what he's had to rebuild from and what he had to do there, there's not been a more dire situation, not only athletically, but also academically than what we had. Because, you know, this this was a program that was like banned. I mean, we went through the whole APR thing and I know other schools have gone through it. But uh, Kevin Lennon at the NCAA told me, he said, I've never seen a program that was this dire that didn't receive the death penalty. That's how bad it was for Towson basketball. And when we came in, there was Virginia Commonwealth and George Mason. You remember what that was yeah. like. I mean, it was a different CA than it is now. Not that it's an easy road now, but it was down the road. But I love being the AD. I love being able to. I, it was like I had my own fantasy team, but they were real people. And uh, I love giving pep talks to teams and uh, building things. We built an arena at Towson. Uh, we remodeled a football locker room at Towson. Um, and Here's how those uh, teams ended up. At the end of my tenure, I went through three presidents in 32 years, or thir three, three presidents in 32 months. It felt like 32 years. <laughs> but uh, my first president, Bob Correct, great guy. Second president, uh, Marsha Welsh, uh, great lady. She was an interim president. And then a third president came in, and we were oil and water. It just wasn't a good mix. And we were also going through a mandate to where we had to deliver. If it wasn't tough enough, 
that you just had to do a major academic reform or that you just had to get teams winning again or that you had to do things right on the, the wellness aspect. Those are three things that would normally choke out somebody, just any one of those. I also had a mandate when I was hired. I'll never forget it. September 25th, 2010, Bluestone Restaurant in Timonium, Maryland. Bob Caret looked across the table at me and said, I want you to be our AD, but you have to know that your budget's getting ready to get cut. We're going to have to be transparent with the student fees. So you're going to lose student fees as well. And, and we have major Title IX and gender equity issues, and you have to solve these by becoming prong one compliant. Now, that means nothing to about 99% of the world. But to be become prong one compliant, that means that your your male female uh, enrollment and your male female participation in intercollegiate athletics have to intersect within two percent. It's probably less than that, but anyway, two percent. At that time, Towson athletics uh, was sixty percent male and forty percent female, and the enrollment was the direct inverse: sixty percent female and forty percent male. So we had, uh, you know, it was very tough. And we had to make some tough decisions. I did not want to cut a sport. I'd rather cut off my own arms than cut a sport. I, I do not look to make people cry. And I made men cry from our foot, uh, from our uh, men's soccer team and our baseball team. I, it was the most abhorrent thing I've ever been a part of. I didn't enjoy any of it. And even though I was going through presidential transitions as a part of this, and I was told by one CAAD, hey, man, that president's gone. You don't have to do that now just do do your time and you'll go on to be in a power five AD. And I think I was on the, the trend. I was on the pathway to doing that, but I made a commitment and, and I was told that I needed to do something. And the, the chancellor, the uh, system, uh, Brett Kerwin expected me to keep that promise. And so we, we maintained that road and it was not happy. I've had death threats. I've had my car vandalized. I had my kids picked on in their schools by alumni of Towson University's programs that were going to be affected by cuts. Uh, I was called home from the Final Four because of a major family emergency caused by some of that harassment. And, um, you know, it's nothing like driving into uh, work every day from 30 miles away or 30 minutes away and having uh, broadcast talent on uh, Baltimore radio uh, calling you names, calling you out. And, I, and I'll never forget that. Because I had been a part of the broadcast fraternity um, and to be able to, to, to feel what I felt was not fun. And, but, but still, did I bend? No. I'm proud of the fact that we stayed the course and we delivered a prong one compliant athletics department. That our four and 26 basketball team three years later was 18 and 13, the biggest one to 18. We also went through a long losing streak, which, you know, UNC Wilmington and Buzz happened to help us out with that day in uh, Towson, Maryland. But, um, but we went from uh, four wins to one win to 18 wins. One to 18, the greatest turnaround in the history of men's college basketball at the NCAA Division I level. And that was a coach that I hired. Okay. I hired the coach. Okay. You know, it's not that tough. You find an assistant. Uh, I mean, you find a head coach that will recruit like an assistant, put good people around them and recruit good people and have character. That's how you win. Okay. In football, we went from one in 10 to playing for a national championship in 2013. Okay. A national championship and two CA championships in uh, year two and year three. Okay, and then lacrosse, we went from 3-13 and 13 to winning a championship with a coach that I hired and Sean Nadlin, Captain America, one of the greatest humans I've, I'll ever be around. If I, if I, my son could grow up to be like a Matt McMahon or a Sean Clark or a Sean Nadlin, 
I'd be very proud. And I'm very proud of my son. I think he has qualities of all three of those great humans. But, um, you know, I'm very proud of my time at Towson. But at the end of that uh, third year, I was miserable. We had won seven championships my last year there in the CAA. Uh, Towson hadn't won seven championships in the previous seven years uh, combined. But uh, very proud of the coaches we hired uh, there, uh, especially Don Metal, who is now the head coach of the Towson volleyball team that is a juggernaut in the CAA. Uh, Pat's still there and uh, Rob's still there. And though I didn't hire him, I, I'd like to think that we had a good uh, uh, time together there. And um, man, I, it was hard to walk away, but it was time. Uh, that president deserved to have an AD that uh, was going to meet her uh, mindset. When I was told I got uh, two contract extensions my last 14 months there. But when you walk away from a uh, five-year contract extension at the CAA as an AD, you're miserable. And I was miserable there. I was not happy. Um, you know, I love the athletes, love the coaches, but I did not enjoy the landscape there any longer. And I had a chance to go to Arkansas and mesh my broadcast love and my administration love uh, with Jeff Long, who I consider to be a dear friend of this day, probably my best friend, along with Bill McGillis at San Diego of NEADs in America. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of those guys. And uh, Jeff, like myself, had been a FCS AD and then wanted to get back on the track and had uh, gone to a Power 5 school uh, to uh, rehab. He uh, rehabbed after Eastern Kentucky being the AD, and he uh, went to Oklahoma and worked for Joe Castiglione. And Jeff and I bonded, and I went there, got a chance to launch the SEC network and build out an $8 million broadcast center. Give me money to spend after being in the CAA? Wow, that was fun. You know, I didn't have to go out and fundraise to, you know, get donuts for the kids on, you know, a trip. But, um, yeah, man, the SEC, I'll tell you this. I'm an ACC guy. ACC, man, it just means more. It's something else, man. And, wow, we could talk about that for days. Just the SEC culture and what I experienced there with Mike Anderson in basketball and um, uh, Brett Bielema in his uh, first year at Arkansas and being around Jeff and just, Wow, brother, Arkansas man, woo pig. Well, like you said, SEC is a, a different animal when you look at college athletics and brother. Ta- wow. Time spent there, time at Illinois, and then you, you gravitate away from college athletics, and yeah. you go maybe back to your roots, I guess, in essence, with 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 NASCAR in the uh, you know Richmond uh, Raceway. Well, I, I want to go back to that because I did leave Arkansas after one year, but it's because Mike Thomas was at Illinois now. He was in I don't know, his third or fourth year as the AD there, and he called me and said, hey, I, I, I need you to come up here. And Mike had saved me early on. I want to thank Mike because if it wasn't for Mike Thomas, I wouldn't have been able to save my dad and keep my career. And believe me, uh, I was going to save my dad. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to keep my career if it wasn't for Mike Thomas, and I owe him that. I owe him that, and um, – I'll never be able to repay that. But when I heard we, we were together at the NACA convention in Orlando and he was telling me some of the things he was going through. And I had lost my mom and my dad in 2012 uh, on the eve of my first uh, uh, CAA basketball tournament uh, with Pat. So I wasn't able to go to that. But then I lost my mom a year later, about 10 days into my time at Arkansas. And it was not a good time, man. I, I'm an only child to lose both my parents inside of a year and a half was just really rough. And that first year at Arkansas was really rough. We went through nine consecutive losses in football and not a very good basketball season. And um, Mike, Mike's like an older brother. And when we got a chance to sit down and be together there at um, 
the NACA convention. Man, uh, just felt like home. And then he said he needed me, and that felt good. And you know, and and I and I left. And uh, I don't, I don't regret. I guess I do regret. I, I do. Well, obviously, I regret it because you know he got fired uh, about fifteen months later. But uh, we built a house in Illinois. I really thought I was going to Illinois State for a long time. But my experience at at Illinois was different in that the culture was just so different than anything. And again, going from the SEC to the Big Ten was like going from the color version of the Wizard of Oz to the black and white. It was it was going in reverse. And uh, just ESPN, the SEC network, to Fox at that point and the Big Ten network, very different model. Uh, one was all free to people with the streaming. One was a charge model. It just felt like I was going backwards and, and it just wasn't good. And then when Mike got fired in November of 2015, I said, man, I don't know if I really want to be here anymore because I only went there to be with Mike. You know, I only went there to be with Mike and had no real affinity to, to live in Illinois and to be around that and nice people, a lot of great folks I met there, but it just wasn't. The best thing we did there was we started a Mandarin Chinese broadcast of uh, Illinois football, which when you're terrible at football and you had these guys, uh, Bruce, Bruce and uh, Yekai uh, were doing our games, man, it was funny. I mean, it was, it's still on YouTube to this day. If you Google Illinois Mandarin broadcast football, yeah, it'll come up. And, you know, they made third down and two. Sound like it was the the game winning play in the Super Bowl, but uh, I did. I, I left there in uh, the spring to become a vice president with NASCAR at Richmond Raceway, and I was bored out of my mind because we only had two race weekends a year, and uh, I didn't know what to do with free time. You know what it's like. I mean, you're working all the time in college athletics. I had 217 events my last year at the University of Illinois, and now I have two. At I think, and I had free time all of a sudden. I could go to games. I remember going to a Carolina Duke game at Wallace Wade Stadium and leaving at the beginning of the third quarter because I was just titanically bored. Uh, and and I had a free pass. I mean, I could go anywhere I wanted. My college roommate, my my brother, for lack of a better term, is Art Chase, who's a senior associate AD at Duke, and he hooked me up, and I'm staying with him. I just I, I texted him. I said, "Yeah, I'm going back to the house." He said, "What do you mean you're going back to the house? I don't care who wins this game. I didn't want to watch anymore. I mean, I was just burnt out." And, you know, that was 28 years of college athletics, Mike. We've talked about it here for, you know, darn near almost an hour. But 28 years of that, I, I needed a break. But I enjoyed NASCAR. My cousin actually was just breaking into NASCAR at the time, uh, my second cousin. Uh, my uh, cousin Dana and her husband Bill uh, gave birth to a guy named William, and uh, he's been uh, pretty successful. He won a uh, – uh, um, Second, and he had seven wins in the truck series that year in 2016. He won the Xfinity title in 2017. And then, you know, he just got just got knocked out of the playoffs this past uh, weekend, um, you know, in Charlotte at the Roval. But William Byron, it's it's fun to watch him. You know, we're not excessively close. I'm closer to his mom than I am with him, obviously. I mean, you know, he's a lot younger than I am. But I take a lot of pride in watching him. And, you know, that was fun to be around and to, to watch him make his uh, transition to cup. We did some things with Dale jr. And we talked about our dads and you know, how they had uh, worked together and things like that. He came in for my last uh, um, victory tour that the NASCAR, the tracks get one driver to come in and we had drafted uh, Dale jr. And I was all excited. And 
had him come to Redskins training camp and all that. But it was fun. But it, it was it was time after two years of doing that. We we flipped that. We got it back on track after 17 years of going backwards in attendance. We got uh, Richmond Raceway back on track after the spring race in uh, 2018, and then had a chance to go beat the president of a pro football team. Yeah, hey, Forrest Gump, man. Forrest you Gump. are. You, so, you are. And, 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 and we got to talk that. about that. I hope we have time to talk about the AAF because yes, that, that we definitely do. Um, the Orlando Apollos. Um, yeah, again, Alliance of American Football, as you mentioned. And, and again, the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier, is your head coach. I mean, what? how did that happen? And, and what are you thinking at, at that point? Well, I, I thought I was going to St. Um, I, I thought I was going to either Salt Lake City, Birmingham, or, or maybe San Antonio. Because I knew I was going to get a job. I was told I interviewed for the first time in April, right two weeks before our spring race at Richmond. And I interviewed in Atlanta. And, and I was told by the search firm, yeah, you're, you're, you got this job. Well, I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And then I resign and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and waiting. Because I had to tell them. They, they had to get on with stuff in uh, NASCAR. And at that point, I was living apart from my uh, family in uh, Illinois. They were still back in Illinois. And I was by myself with a cat in Richmond, Virginia, in a one-bedroom apartment born out of my mind. So uh, I said, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going I'm to hang out with my family. And I'm going to figure out what the next uh, move is going to be. But I... I 98% sure I was going to go work for the AAF. Now, I had an offer to go to the XFL or I go to the AAF. So the way I look at it right now, I could have had two years in spring football before I lost my job because the league went belly up or I could have had one year. But the one year was the best. And the guy finally calls me on, um, I think it was uh, August uh, 3rd. It was would have been my uh, dad's birthday. And he called and said, do you want to be, what? how do you feel about wearing mouse ears? I'm going, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he says, well, yeah, I want you to go to Orlando. I'm going, Steve Spurrier's the coach in Orlando. I don't want to go work with him. I'm a Carolina guy, man. I haven't forgot 1989 and taking that Duke picture in Keenan Stadium with the big butt kicking right there. And, and I'm a Matt Brown guy, man. So, I mean, Matt Brown and Steve Spurrier, I mean, they're all well, Tennessee guys. I mean, they're, you know, you know, or not Cookville, but Tennessee guys, same hometown. Watson and Mac and, and Steve all grew up in the same area, and they didn't really mix well. So I didn't really want to work with him. And I said, okay, well, I get to be a president of a pro football team. I guess I got to go work with Steve Spurrier, a Hall of Fame coach and player. Yeah. But, dude, again, again, you, you, you see this. That guy, is he's a ball coach. I mean, they, they, I've never worked with a football coach who's more of a ball coach than that guy right there. I mean, that is the guy, Garrett Gilbert. What an incredible human being right there. Um, you know, that's uh, one of the days where we were practicing in the uh, in the Citrus Bowl and just uh, watching these guys come through and look at Coach. I mean, he's in his elements, kind of like in the movie Field of Dreams when you see, you know, Moonlight Graham go across that, that gravel and he gets onto the field. And there I am. Well, I looked a lot better there. I still had some marks right there. I just had I had some pneumonia, and I had like uh, the um, suction cups uh, from an acupuncture. See right there, I have a big birthmark on my thing. And could that lapel pin be any bigger? We misordered those. But uh, man, um, just great people. And again, um, but when when Coach Spurrier walks onto the field, he comes alive, and he loves the coach. Um, 
I, I don't know if I've ever been around a guy or a, or a, or a female that loves to coach more than Steve. I think he could care less if he ever coached in a game. He just loves to teach. And, and Garrett Gilbert, Lake Travis High School uh, right here in Texas, just got uh, let go by the Cowboys in the preseason. He's back on the practice squad with the Patriots right now. He's already won two uh, Super Bowls with the, the Patriots as a member of their uh, uh, practice squad with the third quarterback. But Steve Spurrier is a great guy. And I also got a chance to work with another great human. You saw him in that earlier clip right there. It was Tim Ruskell, who had been the president and general manager of the Seattle Seahawks back in the day. So he was the general manager. I was the president. He did football. I did business. And but but it all reported up through me and and Steve Spurrier. Are you kidding me? Kidding me. I mean, and then we go uh, seven and one. And then it all ends, um, you know, I'd hired 24 people, built this uh, team from scratch from August 27th was first day on the ground, uh, August 27, 2018, first day on the ground in Orlando. And from then until February 9th, when we opened up on CBS the week after the Super Bowl on CBS, not, not CBS Sports Network, mind you, CBS, I mean, right uh, the night before the Grammys, but we open up right there and um it was it was awesome. I mean, Steve Spurrier is is a good friend, and he's a, an incredible human being. His wife Jerry, an incredible human being. Again, I, I've just been blessed. And 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 you know, he has a new restaurant down in Gainesville. It's called Spurrier's Upstairs, uh, a rooftop bar called Visors. He's great. He's great. And um, but that ended. It all ended on a uh, tweet by Darren Ravel. We found out that we were all fired. It took about six uh, hours later to uh, get the official word from the board in an email. And they still owe me about ten thousand dollars in uh, expenses. And, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's like that Garth Brooks song, The Dance, you know. You know, if, if we wouldn't have gone through uh, all the, the pain, we never would have had the pleasure of knowing everybody and we'd all do it again. But uh, that dies out. I have my own company, Brentwood Partners. Uh, we do branding. So I did that for a few months, uh, took a few uh, things on. And then um, as fate would have it, my wife was working at the USTA National Campus uh, there. She's a tennis professional. And we had a chance to um, get things going. And, and she was really happy there. So I said, oh, let me talk to World Team Tennis about doing a contract. And then they, uh, I was going to just do business development for the World Team Tennis uh, team there in Orlando. And they call and say, hey, why don't you be the president? And I said, okay. So I was the president. I'm going to turn down that check. So uh, you turn that down for a while. And then uh, on March the 6th, right after we had come back from um, uh, San Diego and the World Team Tennis All-Star Weekend is when COVID hit. And tennis was the first uh, thing to kind of fold. Uh, so um, World Team Tennis went from having teams all around to being centralized at a uh, uh, one location, they didn't need uh, people like me to run teams in uh, Orlando or New York or Chicago or DC or you know wherever they were. So um, I was out of work. I was driving cross country uh, from my son who was working at the time for the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. He was moving to Clemson. So I was driving a truck and as I was crossing into Mississippi here, it all comes full circle now. You know, Mississippi is bad. 
Uh, they're great people, Mississippi. It's a, it's a cool place. But um, just crossed into Mississippi and I get a car uh, call from Carlos Silva, who is the CEO of World Team Tennis, saying, uh, you know, I have to uh, trim the uh, the payroll and unfortunately you're out. I said, well, it was a great 92 days. So, um, yeah, uh, we do that. And then uh, two weeks later, I land as the uh, uh, president and uh, governor of the Allen Americans of the ECHL. 30 years before I was working with the Greensboro Monarchs when I was a senior or uh, last year, my third year, uh, final year at Guilford College, I was working with the ECHL team back then. And uh, so 30 years apart, I come back to the ECHL. But now it doesn't mean East Coast Hockey League. It just means ECHL. Uh, means nothing. Uh, but they call it the Coast in Hockey Parlance. And we're the AA affiliate of the Seattle Kraken. We just signed that deal and uh, having a ball. I have great uh, staff here. We've, uh, you know, completely flipped, save for two people, the uh, staff here with the uh, Allen Americans. And it's a, um, it's, it's a pleasure to work with them and a, a great owner and Jack Galati and the winningest American born hockey coach of all time. And Steve Martinson is our head coach and general manager. And again, like with the football team, he does the hockey side. I do the uh, business side and uh, you know, it all funnels up through me, but that means nothing. I mean, he's, he's a, a great partner, Steve Martinson, and we have a great owner in Jack and, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, contend for a, a Kelly Cup uh, this year and I can get my 30th championship ring. There, there you go. Again, part of so many championship teams, as you said, the, professionally uh, on the college level. I mean, you've lived such a charmed life. You mentioned all those those names and all those stops that you've made. Do you, you know, aside from a time like this, do you, do you often look back at that and, and think, like you said, how, how did I get in some of these places that I, that I, that I wound up in? It's crazy. I mean, I, I, there, there's certain moments that I'll think back on and they might not be the most memorable for other people, but I'll think back to moments and there'll be times I'm an emotional guy. You've seen me almost broke, uh, break down a few times during the course of our conversation, Mike, but I'll think about people I've worked with, athletes I've worked with, um, you know, conversations I've had on planes with uh, Torah Suber, who's our point guard, number 45 from Downingtown, Pennsylvania. I'll never forget that. Kind of having a conversation with her on an Alaska Airlines flight uh, coming back charter between uh, Georgia Tech and Charlottesville and some things she was going through. But she thought enough of me to share that with me and ask me advice. Uh, being in the locker room after Arnie loses to Navy in an Army-Navy game. That is something I'll never get over. I mean, I respect Navy. I'll never root for them, uh, ever. Uh, but losing that game was the most gut-wrenching thing that I've ever seen people go through up until the point that they've sung their alma maters and they go back in the locker room and then the two teams mix locker rooms and they come together because they're all one group as Americans. That meant so much, and it just floored me that these rivals – I can't imagine a Carolina-Duke basketball game ending with everybody having a Shangri-La moment. Uh, but but that's Army-Navy. I mean, you can't say go Army without saying beat Navy. It's just inherently impossible. And, and to be a part of that is amazing. To be a part of that hoop five fraternity with Carolina women's basketball to this day, you know, uh, almost 30 years, 27 years after uh, that championship run, that means something. To be able to be around Matt McMahon and Sean Clark, my Appalachian guys, and, and there's so many more. Earl Hunter, 
who is a defensive back off of our Appalachian football teams now uh, has a, a business called Black Fa- Black Folks Camp Two, and it's promoting camping to the African American community. Guy's a genius. Uh, Marcus Damas, who was one of our uh, basketball players at Towson, who now has a successful marketing business in in New York, and he's a multimillionaire. Uh, to look at Daniel Jeremiah, who is our, our quarterback and a kid that I uh, got to know through his father, the evangelist, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah from El Cajon, California, who uh, once comes to my broadcast booth. This is a great story. I got to tell you this. It's a funny one. I'll get too emotional. So we're playing Liberty. Appalachians play in Liberty, and it's a one-two quarterback battle between uh, David Jer- uh, Daniel Jeremiah and David Reeves. And David Reeves' uh, father, uh, had, John Reeves, had been Spurrier's uh, uh, successor as the quarterback with the Gators. And so you have uh, big-time quarterback dad, quarterback son, and then you have televangelist dad and quarterback son. And coming in here, one's a um, you know, run-pass option type guy, another one's your pure, uh, pretty much prototypical uh, drop-by passer in David Reeves. And uh, Jerry Moore makes a decision that uh, Daniel's going to uh, start. So Dr. David's hopping on the jet, and he's flying out to Lynchburg for the big game up in uh, – uh, up in, uh, you know, uh, at Liberty. And, but uh, Dr. David would call me and he said, hey, um, and I was with football. David uh, Jackson went with Appalachian basketball down to uh, uh, Georgia Tech at a game where Buzz got so upset that he kicked his shoe off and it landed in the middle of the floor. I missed that game. I was so upset. But, uh, but I'm doing this uh, uh, football game and I'm setting up in my booth and uh, Dr. Jeremiah comes in and says, hey, I need to uh, sit in your booth today. So that's fine. You can sit in my booth. He said, do you have a headset I can put on? I said, why? He said, because if I look like I'm busy, Dr. Falwell won't make me sit in his booth. And he didn't want to sit in Dr. Falwell's booth, not because he didn't like Jerry Falwell, but because Jerry wanted to talk the whole time about anything other than letting him watch his son play football. So I had my Sennheiser H&D 25 that I that was broken. And that's why I sat on it like, you know, two years before that we just carried it around to get like a part, like a extra, you know, quarter plug or whatever we could take off and, you know, mingle into something if we needed to. But Dr. Jeremiah is sitting there with a mangled headset on his head, and Dr. and Jerry Falwell is knocking on the uh, the window, saying, "Come on over here, come on over here." But I remember having my picture made with Jerry Falwell. What a nice guy! I mean, when you meet these super famous people, a lot of times they're the nicest people you could ever meet. It's the people who are almost famous who are the ones you don't want to deal with. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. But but the the but that 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 in itself could that could be like a, a movie right there. My, my day doing a broadcast, and Sam Reticliano was the head football coach at, uh, at Liberty at the time, and Jerry Moore, again, one of the great people of all time, but that in itself, just a weird little story right there. But do I ever look back? Yeah, I look back. And, and friends always tell me when we get on these chats, man, you're, you're like Forrest Gump. And I said, I am. They said, you ought to write a book. And I said, no, no. <laughs> if, if I, if I, I mean, look, I've told you everything that is like superficial. It goes about an inch deep and a mile wide right here. But brother, if I ever got into the details of some of the stuff that I've seen, I'd be, there'd be a hit squad out for me because I've seen some stuff and I've, I've seen enough to know that I'm a very blessed person. I've been around great people. And when it comes to college athletics, I know that's where my heart is. 
and because athletes and coaches are people that definitely need people as administrators who look out for them on a daily basis. And, and I do want to send a shout out to, to Jimmy Bass. Jimmy Bass and I started, uh, I started at Towson. He started at UNC Wilmington at the same time in the fall of 2010. We both had our first AD meetings together to this day. Uh, Jimmy Bass and his wife, Sarah, are great friends to Heidi and I. And uh, I, I love them to death. Uh, I love Jimmy's uh, son, who now works for uh, Martin Truex uh, or Truex Racing. Uh, I mean, he's uh, just just great people. And uh, the one thing that you can tell Jimmy is that anytime he wants to uh, invite me down to landfall, and I'll bring Big Pink because Big Pink, I, I play with pink golf balls because my uh, uh, cancer has touched my uh, family on the, the 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 women's side very hard. And uh, I always play with pink golf balls, but there's nothing more uh, intimidating to have a uh, big wad out there uh, knocking big pink about uh, 340 down the middle and to watch uh, Jimmy just not be Jimmy can't keep up. Jimmy can't keep up. Now, you need to have Jimmy on this podcast and play that for him or just take a cut to the office and tell him that big pink is coming, is coming to Wilmington at some point. We're going to come down to Wilmington. We're going to come to Landfall. Maybe get my man Pete Huckster out there, another uh, uh, great guy that's a, a supporter of the Seahawks. We'll get out there and we get to going. And uh, I love it. But um, I've been very blessed. And, and, Mike, thank you for having me on today. And JR, you know, spinning the dials back there. Because behind every pretty guy like Mike Vaccaro is a guy like JR out there who's making it happen behind the scenes. I've had David Modlin. I've had um, – uh, just so many great guys. David Modlin was my first engineer at Carolina. I called him a pack mule, but uh, just uh, great people. My engineers at Appalachian State, my, at, at Virginia, the, the abuse that those people took, amazing. And uh, But I love them to death, and uh, I'm an incredibly blessed person. And thank you for being my friend, Mike, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you down the road real soon. Yeah, this is this has been great. I mean, again, I knew some of your story, but to to hear all the people that again have touched your life, first of all, is is incredible, and and all the folks that uh, again you still have those relationships with. Great stories. Again, we appreciate your time. Uh, quickly, how can people follow you if you know, on on social media or if they want to follow uh, your hockey team? How can they do that? Well, we're the Allen Americans, uh, AA affiliate of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, you can follow us at allenamericans.com. We don't come close to North Carolina because uh, the ECHL has teams in Greenville, South Carolina, the Swamp Rabbits. I've gotten a few calls from their president, Todd Mackin, from Spire Hockey here over the last hour. But um, you can also, uh, I, look, I don't tweet like I used to, and that's a good thing because I was probably the most reckless AD in the history of Twitter. And what I've learned is that Twitter has no purpose in my life and nobody cares what I think. And I need to just keep it to myself. My wife has been telling me that for 29 years of marriage and 32 years of a relationship. And now I agree. I am not interesting and nobody cares. Uh, I like to put things together on Instagram and uh, do little uh, videos. And that's where I get my creative thing. In fact, this past weekend, I got a chance to go to the Red River Rivalry, doing some uh, stuff for maybe one of our mutual friends, Trip Durham. I uh, was doing some things for the ACC this past weekend and ESPN College Game Day around there. That, that's, that's a fun little outlet, but just follow me at Wadsport, uh, W-A-D-S-P-O-R-T on Twitter. And uh, my Instagram is uh, just the Mike Waddell. My my son made that one. I'm kind of embarrassed by that, but we have fun. 
And uh, if you're ever in the need for branding work or uh, promotions, you can uh, look at my company, Brentwood.Partners. If you would, let me, uh, if you could, please let me uh, share about this. Now, my partner with Brentwood Partners right now is a guy named Keith, Keith Tribble, former AD at the University of Central Florida, chairman of the Orange Bowl. And uh, we have a very unique uh, uh, path that we're trying to carve out. We are a uh, consulting and branding company. Keith runs it right now. I'm obviously busy with the Allen Americans and have taken a step back. But where we're focusing in right now is doing uh, searches for small colleges, but also trying to do uh, a lot of professional development and big event branding work with HBCUs. If there is one passion that I have at this point in my life, it's uh, mentoring uh, future ADs and uh, current ADs and uh, senior associate ADs on the side. Uh, usually if I'm not uh, uh, talking to them, I'm talking to somebody like you on a podcast. I get my broadcast fix. But uh, the HBCU uh, world is dynamic. It's vibrant. It has a lot of great things going on. And in North Carolina, you're blessed to have North Carolina A&T, North Carolina Central, uh, Johnson C. Smith. Uh, Limestone uh, is in South Carolina, but Livingstone is uh, there in Salisbury, North Carolina. I mean, Bennett College and uh, Greensboro, historically black uh, women's uh, college. And, and and that's where my passion is right now, because I have so many friends that, that are in that space and, and, and that it, it's fun to work with them and to uh, be a part of, of their journey now. Uh, man, that, that is something else. But I'm, I'm a big fan of, of HBCUs and I uh, do hope that you have, there you go, uh, coming up right there. We have a few uh, things that we've done. There's a little Akron, uh, uh, Matt Chan there, there I am right there at Louisville, uh, Sean Nadlin, uh, uh, lacrosse coach. It's a football stadium that we built at Akron uh, and Steve Spurrier right there. That's one of the great uh, billboards. And there's the, the world's ugliest basketball court that I designed. Uh, Richmond Raceway Esports, Go Illini and the Chicago si uh, Skyline, and again, back to the Apollos. But uh, we do a lot of fun things, and it's all about trying to make uh, people feel fun uh, when they go to an event, and that's what Brentwood Partners does. So uh, Keith Triple is a great friend, another former AD from Moorhead State. Brian Hutchinson is in this uh, uh, deal with us, Melvin Hines. Uh, former uh, uh, football coach at the HBCU uh, level is uh, part of our group, Jessica Rio. Uh, I mean, the, the lineup uh, is uh, very deep and uh, to even be associated with this company. I named it Brentwood Partners. Another funny story to kind of tie it all together. I, I, I grew up at 1527 Brentwood Drive, Newton, North Carolina, 28658, man. The mean streets of Rootin' Tootin' Newton, man. We raised taters, maters, and hell. But uh, when I was trying to come up with a name for this uh, company, I wanted to name it Dogwood something. But Dogwood sounded like it was like a funeral home or a funeral supply company, like Dogwood Partners. You know, we will sell you this and that. So I didn't want to do that. So I came up with Brentwood. And Brentwood's kind of fun. So I, one of my very good friends that I've uh, met through the AAF is a guy who started Major League Baseball Advanced Media. His name's Din Mann, D-I-N-N-M-A-N-N. Great guy. And that guy has a thousand times more stories and a better life than I have because his grandfather, Roy Hoffines, built the uh, uh, Astrodome and was the mayor of Houston or wow. the, the judge of, of Houston down there, if you will, kind of like being the mayor. So um, we get together out in uh, California a few years ago uh, thinking about a project where Brentwood Partners could work with his uh, Turn 2 Equity Partners. And I flew out to California and I just had these cards made up with Brentwood Partners. 
and uh, had a cool logo, which is like Beast Mode's uh, logo, uh, Marshawn Lynch. But anyway, uh, we're sitting out there and I'm talking to these people and they're California people, like the heads of studios and stuff like that. And they said, what's your company? I said, Brentwood Partners. They go, oh, Brentwood Partners. Yeah, yes. Because Brentwood is like where UCLA is in LA. So it sounds a little bit more panache, but it's really like this little 20 housing, 20 house development in South Newton, North Carolina. Home of the Red Devils, baby. Woo! So there but, you go. Uh, Whatever helps. You're, you're, you're marketing yourself. You're, you're, you're showing that you're a good and true marketer. Well, we have fun. Uh, again, Exactly. This has been fun. I appreciate uh, your time. And again, all the great stories and, and all the great folks. And yes, uh, I think you should uh, write that book someday. And uh, but but yes, be careful with uh, some of the, the in-depth uh, stories that you tell. But Keep uh, it superficial and fun, baby. People right, don't want right. bad stuff. And, and you never do that. But uh, again, thank you for having me on uh, the front row. And I've always wanted to be on the front row. Never quite made it, but uh, now I have, and, and and JR is my friend too, so I'm excited about that. Well, my thanks to Mike for spending some time with us here and, again, telling his great story, just an extraordinary story, starting from broadcasting all the way to the front office where he is now in minor league hockey and certainly some more chapters to come for him. My thanks also to our creator, producer, director, JR Quitman behind the scenes, and for you for watching and listening here once again today. We hope to see you another time with another episode coming up shortly in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.